here we are, uh, yet another episode of Starfleet Boy, and today we're having a casual and informal discussion about the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, When the Bow Breaks. Um, this is our first uh, kid episode. This won't be the last, <laughs> but it's our first kid-centric Star Trek The Next Generation episode. Um, basically, to sum it up, it um, <clears throat> the story is about um, a mythical civilization that uh, is uh, discovered to be real. They're so advanced that all of their needs um, and wants are taken care of by uh, a kind of um, all-seeing, all-knowing <laughs> type of computer called the custodian. Um, and they're able to cloak their planet in a shield. Well, they have an incredible shield, and they're also able to cloak their planet uh, to uh, stay out of the uh, universe, basically, to stay out of the galaxy so that no one can can find them. Um, and they're, they're just completely devoted to art and culture, and they don't do anything else. There's no... Uh, there's no need for anything else. There's no need to be a scientist or even work. Um, all Everything they need is provided for them. But sadly, they can't have children. So they plant a few breadcrumbs for the uh, Enterprise to find because I guess their custodian computer scanned the region and found there's like a ton of children on this one starship. Again, another drawback for traveling <laughs> through space, <laughs> through yeah. space uh, with families. Um, <clears throat> and they lure the Enterprise to the planet, reveal themselves, and kidnap uh, several of the Enterprise uh, children. And uh, they hope to uh, be able to re uh, revitalize their civilization, which is dying. They can't have children anymore. And so they're hoping to revitalize their situation, their uh, civilization with these these kids. And unfortunately, um, no one wants that. None of the Enterprise kids want that. So uh, we have our conflict there. And uh, Captain Picard and the crew work tirelessly to try to get their kids back. Um, and then at the end, it's discovered that the very <clears throat> the very same reason they're able to have all the luxuries and uh, all their needs provided for is, in fact, what is causing uh, their civilization to die out. Uh, so the children are restored to their families, and the Enterprise crew vow to help them to restore their civilization and there is hope for them after all and that's it that's the end the end of my summary for this episode <laughs> excellent summarizing sir thank you, uh, you think? well i uh i was surprised by the episode because i had never seen it before uh, oh the first time i'd ever seen this episode i'd always avoided this episode because i remember the trailer looked really really bad <laughs> and I'd never had any reason to watch it. And um, I, it was not as bad as, as I thought it could have been. Um, actually, I thought, I thought it entertained me. Excuse me. Ugh. It was, um, wow, it was very entertaining. You're young, very entertaining, doctor. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, no. Seriously, it, uh, the dilemma of, you know, to compare it with uh, last week's episode, which was, um, I was saying that, it was, it was too short a season, wherein I said, nobody on the, there was really nothing, there was no conflict for the crew. There, the, nobody, no one among the, uh, the core cast was really vested in what was happening with uh, with Jamison and him, you know, growing younger or whatever. Right. It's opposite here. You know, we have very high stakes for uh, not only members of the, uh, you know, the ongoing cast, you know, uh, Crusher, but they bring in other characters, other crew members from the ship. Um, yeah, I really like that. I liked seeing other members. And there seemed to be even... One of the parental 
groups were non-commissioned. They weren't even wearing uniforms. Um, they might have been traveling on the Enterprise for a short while, like taking them from point A to point B or something like that. So that was very interesting. Uh, you know what? I just assumed it was their day off. Oh, yeah. It could also mean it's their day off. That's I assume weird. they don't wear uniforms <laughs> on their day off. But, <laughs> Good point. Uh, well, Counselor Troy never wears her uniform. Never, never wears her uniform. Was she in this episode? <laughs> she was. Remember, she. So there was that funny oh, scene. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. So, I won't steal it from you. Riker is super excited about the region of space that they're in and these kinds of clues and everything. And so, you know, this mythical planet um, that I was talking about in the description is called Aldea. And, you know, it's every, it, it's, it's, it's a legendary world. There's lots of stories about it. Um, travelers, I guess, in the past have maybe told tales of encountering it. And it's certainly possible that the Aldeans have revealed themselves in the past. Um, anyways, so uh, just coincidentally, at that moment when Riker's describing this tale, uh, Counselor Troy all of a sudden is aware of a disturbance in the force, and she senses thousands and thousands of uh, minds really close by. And then shortly after that, Aldea uh, decloaks and reveals itself. I have a question. I usually am very. Um, I usually can figure out these things, and I do have an idea, maybe, but I just want to throw this question out to you. is like, how do ships warp through the system all the time and not smash right into Aldea? If it's cloaked, uh, you know, one assumes that navigation systems work their way around planets, right? But if there's wow. no record of a planet and it's cloaked, then how are these uh, ships? Still, the, yeah, but it's still exerting... Uh, gravitational forces. Oh, that's a great... I didn't the think about that. Gravitational forces still at play. So when the computer, when the navigational computer calculates, you know, the trajectories, obviously the gravity that it's that is exerting is still there. So it knows. So in a way, the computer does know it's there. Much like Camino. Much, much like, like Camino. Camino. <laughs> exactly. It has been erased wow. from the Jedi archives talking about another show. Master that actually is... Lost a planet he has. That's really great, but I'm surprised no one ever thought, oh, let's see, let's, you know, let, you know, they're casually going through the system and they're like, oh, there's a gravitational anomaly. Let's investigate this. I guess they go and then they see nothing there. And then they're like, oh, okay, let's, let's keep going. That, that makes a lot of sense. And the, the whale. Yeah, go ahead. The, the whale, whale navigators would know that there's a planet there. They can see beyond. Beyond, they can see the beyond the cloak. They're no, they're no. very aware of of the <laughs> of the planet's presence. That was a really good point, Doctor. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, and and you know, in defense of of previous ships that have traveled through there, um, you know, maybe, I mean, the Enterprise D is in theory exploring, uh parts of space that have not been explored much. By the Federation. By the Federation. <laughs> um, and uh, so, I mean, this legend that they're talking about, I assume is it's a legend common among Federation. Or so, traitor, yeah, even traitors from other... Right. Other conglomerates or groups or whatever, um, and it, and then uh, you know th in thinking about it further later on the Aldeans do demonstrate their power and um, and they launch the Enterprise something like two days uh, away from the planet three or two or three days yeah. away from the planet so it's very possible that if they detect a ship coming toward their planet they can just knock it off course or do something as well with their technology they have an amazing. Uh, technological um, resource with the custodian. Right. Now, I have a question for you. Oh. I've answered your question. Now you answer my question, if you can. The extent of Troy's powers. I, I'm, I'm always at a loss as to what, what exactly are the parameters of her powers. So the planet was cloaked, and she was on, like, I don't understand. She was able to, I don't remember exactly, she was able to sense this entire planet while it was cloaked, only after it was cloaked, or she, upon the cusp of being <clears throat> seen. I, 
Much like the whale navigators, whether the planet is cloaked or not doesn't matter to Troy because what she's actually sensing is thoughts, like lots and lots of thoughts. So as they approach... While it was cloaked. So as they approached, yeah, while it's cloaked, when they got into a certain range of the planet, she suddenly became aware of many more minds than... She's already aware of the minds on the Enterprise. And all of a sudden, it's like, imagine... Uh, if you will, like a bat and using echolocation. And at first there's only like 20 blips on, on its radar screen. And then all of a sudden there's thousands of blips on its radar screen. And that's what I imagine her mind lit up with like all these uh, strange thoughts and feeling. Well, with her, it's more emotions. She's only half beta Z. So while she can't read minds, she can definitely read emotions. She can read that that aspect of of people's uh, thoughts. <clears throat> Sensing the emotions of the people on the planet? That's correct. So every time they come to a planet, she senses emotions from the planets. That is correct. So whenever they're, let's say, they're in training exercises and there's ships all over the place, she is sensing the emotions from the different ships. Yes, that's how she's able to pinpoint and target exactly where the scimitar is while it's in a cloak in Star Trek Nemesis because she uh, invades the mind of Ron Perlman's character, who I forgot his character's name. Uh, that's a, <clears throat> I forgot too. But, um, but, but I she's able to like, she's able to kind of, is, oh, sorry, sorry, I interrupted you. What were you saying? I had assumed that that was, uh, that was because not really, not just her power, but it was because he was also, because he was a telepath. So there was a stronger connection. Right, and I think, I think that's why in this episode, when, when Captain Picard says, well, where do you sense this? She says, somewhere close. She's not fully aware of exactly where it is. And with, <clears throat> you just kind of like supported that. Whereas like with Ron Perlman's character, she's able to, she's like, what did she say to him? She's like, um... <laughs> I forget what she says, but it's a nice uh, little, it's a nice it, little Troy moment later on in Nemesis. But yeah, so she's she's able to kind of map out. The, one can imagine that in her in her mind, there's a kind of a thought or emotional map, and she can have she has a rough idea of the distance um, of these minds or these you know these emotional sources. Okay, so um, I guess. Going back to the episode, what did you think of? What did you think about the the, 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 the dilemma? Uh, it's really interesting, and we've we. This is not the first time we've seen this in science fiction. Um, extremely advanced civilizations that can no longer uh, reproduce, um, and in this case, they threw in the added mix of the the fact that these uh, there's like some kind of genetic degradation happening as well. So the population of this planet can no longer have children. They can no longer reproduce, and they can no longer, and they're also dying of some kind of radiation poisoning. Um, it reminded me a lot of, um, <clears throat> you know, radiation is a funny thing. Um, it takes a very long time for life forms, I think, to adapt to dramatic changes. And uh, when the when Dr. Crusher mentions that in the 20th century or the 21st century, that Earth faced a similar uh, dilemma when it lost uh, huge parts of its ozone layer, um, it's true. We are seeing huge spikes in cancer. You know, um, cancer has to do with a lot of factors, but um, it's very possible that like humans are being exposed to levels of radiation that they had never, uh, that previously they had not been exposed to. And like, what do you really do about that? I mean, many of us stay indoors, but um, UV radiation doesn't necessarily, you're not necessarily protected from it by staying indoors. It's, it's you know, it can travel <clears throat> in a lot of places. Um, and, you know, we haven't seen a population problem yet. It's the opposite on this planet we our population still growing exponentially but um you know we're also not at the level of technical achievement that the aldeans are um so one can imagine that like they seem to this civilization in particular has seemed to lost have lost its um interest in science in knowledge of that sort they're very focused on just the here and now on their 
you know, on art and culture. And that's very noble, but without, there's that one scene where Harry is talking about calculus and his Aldean foster parent um, kidnapper. <laughs> oh, Goldie Scott's here. There he is. Goldie Scott. Oh my goodness. Goldie Scott here. From Tarak Noor. It's been such a long time. From Tarak Noor. It's been several weeks. Yes, I mean, uh, I haven't been seen on Starfleet Boy since back in early June, I believe. Goldie Scott was taking a hiatus. He had a lot of uh, up. There was a lot of uprisings occurring on Bajor, and he had to (laughs) he had to take care of them. Keep them down, man. Keep them down. A lot of those uh, Bajoran no good nicks. You know those Bajor for Bajorans people, the ones who are always shouting that. Yeah, bastards. You look good. You have a haircut or something? Thank you. No, actually, I'm I'm long overdue for a haircut. It looks like you took some kind barber. of. It looks it looks like you took some com- kind of compound, which has has reduced your age significantly. Um, Goldu Scott. <laughs> that was our previous episode. But to finish, I, I was I was just Goldu Scott. I was just ta- we were just talking about the Aldeans and their civilization. Admiral Jameson. Yeah, that was last week's episode. Yeah. By the way, real quick. Real quick, just what are your thoughts on that episode? Just like a quick, very quick, like, nutshell synopsis. Um, the makeup was really bad, <laughs> and it was bothering me the entire episode that his head was really old, but his hands looked like normal age hands. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> how, did we, how did we miss that? We all missed that. Gosh. <clears throat> Well, as you know, our Cardassian uh, view screens over here are very large. And so that's, that's why I was able to catch that. That's right. <laughs> frequently point out details that, that, that shock and surprise me. But certainly if I could go back and be in charge of that remastering process for that episode, I would have added some digital wrinkles to his hands during those scenes. That, that would have been quite, a, quite an undertaking. I think they decided to just go with it. Um, obviously, but I liked it. I liked it, and I would I would give it uh, out of uh, five. I would give that episode a, a three. It was it was fun. That's exactly what I gave it. That's God, fantastic. You guys are generous, man. <laughs> the wow. doctor gave that episode one star out of th- out of five. Yeah, you gotta lower your expectations. <laughs> was that so, the first time you'd seen it? Oh no, I've seen that episode before several times. Wow. Okay. All it's right. one of, I mean, you know, season one is is pretty much filled with poo, as we know. Uh, but that is, you know, one of the less stinky pieces of poo in this season, in my opinion. But it is poo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. We, yeah. we can agree on that. All right. But if so. you spend all day hanging around, you know, really smelly poo, then less smelly poo, you know, is going to seem really good. So the, hence the three. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you watched this episode in the middle of season four or season five, I would have given it a, a one or a two. Yeah, I think I think that that's what probably the doctor was doing. Goldie Scott, just before you, before you jump in, I just want to finish a thought that we we were discussing the Aldean civilization and how they kind of lost their their joy for science and you know, so there's that scene where Harry is talking about um, calculus, doctor and with his his foster parent slash captor and he and he and the the guy's like what's that you know and like so he has no interest in math and and so it just goes to show you that like you can't it's not it, it the lesson i think there is that like in that in that scene it's very evident that you know it's not a good idea to just rely on a computer as advanced as it is to take care of all your needs, because you'll be like a child in a sense as well, very helpless. I think also one of the uh, one of the things that struck me was when um, in the at the end when Crusher uh, has her eureka moment, and she's like, "Oh, it's because of the ozone layer, and it's this and that." Um, the fact that uh, the head of the planet is um, is almost like denying it. Is there feedback to Do you hear that? Oh yeah, it's really weird. Doctor, um, there's heavy subspace interference coming from your end. Maybe the TARDIS is passing through the um, boson rift or the 
or the what was that place called? The uh, the Cascadia. What was it? The oh shit. How do, how Medusa, do I... You're passing through the Medusa Cascade, Doctor. Medusa Cascade. <laughs> But, but I do want to hear what you were saying because you were saying something uh, interesting yeah. about about Troy's urethra moment. <laughs> no, it was no, not Troy. Crusher, 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 Crusher's urethra moment. Moments. No, no, but I was going to say is um, the uh, the the guy that they kept ne- the head negotiator for the planet uh, when they when Radu. When, His name Ra- was Radu. Radu. Radu, when Radu Radu was almost acting as a as a denier of facts, which I think is something that we face today. You know, people who deny basic science because uh, they don't because they don't know any better. Um, I'd like to share. Limbaugh, uh, when they shot that gorilla, I don't know where, and he's like, "Why didn't that gorilla evolve?" And and it was like. Seriously, like, people are just, you know, they deny, I mean, right now we have, uh, I don't want to get political, but we have people who deny um, uh, that we have an environmental problem, Uh, we have people that deny evolution. Um, I wrote, I, I read a very interesting essay about how, you know, when as a society we fail to... Um, when we fail to agree on certain standards of, of facts, of science, when we fail to agree on those facts and suddenly we start just saying, well, no, but I don't necessarily believe the sky is blue. I think the sky is a shade of purple. You know, things that are pretty obvious, society starts, you know, sliding downwards. And I, I think this episode shows, you know, they had great technology uh, but there was a downward spiral. I mean, they didn't even understand the technology that they had. Right. There's behind a, that door, behind the door of the custodian. Yeah, the the, the Wesley's captor slash foster parent, um, I forget her name, but um, she doesn't even, she's like, ha, 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 I, Radu said you would ask questions that I don't know the answer to. Uh, ask the custodian. She's like totally uninterested. Completely. in any of his questions, and she thinks, like, what a silly boy. He's asking all these really weird questions, you know. And um, Yeah, it was very... I thought it was very well done in terms of conveying a civilization that has, like, kind of, in many ways, evolved into this, like, very... Um, um, <clears throat> very wonderful place, but also has evolved into a very dangerous and scary place. And, like, just the fact that they're willing to... Um, to kidnap these children. By the way, there there is a funny scene. I thought this was interesting and Troy, you know, is the spokesperson in this scene. When they initially meet the Aldeans um, <clears throat> and they requ- they just, you know, they're like, oh, well, we want your children. Um, you know, Riker's completely shocked and so is Crusher and Troy says, humans are unusually attached to their children. And she's kind of like uh, implying that there are other civilizations that would be like, sure, take five of my children. You know, like maybe Klingons. Klingons. <laughs> I think there are some humans too. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. Parenting is a huge, uh, a huge thing in the in the news right now. There's a lot of discussion about parenting and 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 how to parent correctly and you know maybe the old ways of parenting aren't good enough anymore and maybe the new ways of parenting aren't good enough and uh, I thought that in this uh, in this episode um, it, it was neat to see that Harry's father uh, in the future there are still jerks that are parenting <laughs> even though they're in Starfleet that opening scene where he's kinda like he grabs Harry and he's just like yells at him you know, to me, it was like, oh, I thought, you know, and even Riker's kind of uncomfortable with that whole exchange. He's like, you know, I thought like, oh, maybe people don't do that anymore in the future, but they do apparently. They're still uh, really strict and mean parents in the future. <laughs> what do you guys think of that? I would love to see what Picard would have been like as a dad. I feel like he would have been ten times worse than, uh, what was the the name of the guy? No. He's amazing. Uh, Harry's father, I forget what his name was, but he was uh, he's an ocean oceanographer or something like that. That's his he science. Works with whales. 
Dr. Henderson is what I'm going to call him for now, but I can't remember. He works with the whale. The, the he works with the whale navigators on the Enterprise. That's what it is. He works with the cetacean navigators on the Enterprise. That's I his still role. don't believe that that this exists. Is, this is proof. The fact that they have an oceanographer and a marine biology specialist on the Enterprise proves... No, it doesn't. That, it proves that, that they're <laughs> visiting planets with oceans and ocean life that they need his input on. That's and all they, it proves. My personal goal to insert a comment about the whale navigators in every episode of Starfleet Point. <laughs> <laughs> so, outside of that, though, um, I think that ultimately it's interesting because later when his kid is kidnapped in the conference room scene, um, Harry's father does regret that he yelled at Harry. That was the last interaction that they had. And so, hey, parents out there, you know, I'm not here. I'm not an expert on parenting. I'm not going to tell you how to parent. I'm not gonna let you. I'm not, I'm not gonna yell at you for letting your kid fall into a gorilla pen, or whatever happened with that gorilla. Um, I'm not here to like do any <laughs> do any of that. Not but, that we want to get political on this show, but but just think that at any minute your child could be kidnapped by an ancient race that can no longer procreate, mm-hmm. and how regretful would you be if you yelled at your kid? If the last interaction you had was yelling at your kid? Very well said, sir. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> so, um... I have a question about Radu. Radu, yes. He was from Laverne and Shirley, right? Mm. The big Radu? Wasn't he called the big Radu? <laughs> no, was he? Did they make, like, a very... Did they do... No. <laughs> no. no. I have him on the IMDb here. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> Is there anybody watching this that's old enough to even get that joke? I think there's a lot of people on the yeah. on the uh, analytics of, for this uh, show. LMS fans out there. On on the um, his name's hey, Harry. That's Cindy Williams. Can we just talk about Cindy Williams for a little while? Yes, we can. Um, so so Harry Harden, the actor who plays Radu. Um, Sorry, Jerry Harden, sorry, um, the actor who plays Radu, is still alive, according to IMDb. He's 86 years old now. And he, he was he was on, let's see here, where's his... Seinfeld. He was on Seinfeld. He's probably most famous for being the librarian on Seinfeld who tracks Jerry down for a 30-year-old overdue library book. Oh, I never He's saw the library it. cop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. He's the library cop. Um, By the way, we talked about Space Cop in the last episode of Starfleet Boy. Yes, Space Cop was exciting. I it's not as exciting as Library Cop. <laughs> turned Space Kidnapper. We're going way back here in the uh, in the timeline of Radu. He was on Quantum Leap. By the way, I know many of us like that show. He also played Mark Twain in the later episode, uh, Time's Arrow, parts one and two. Oh, I can't wait till we get to that episode. It's a great episode. And, of course, uh, he's probably best known as... um, He was was one of those guys that Mulder would talk to on on X-Files and would feed him information about where the aliens really are and all that stuff. That's right. Yeah, it's one of the many deep throats on that show. Right, deep throat. Yeah, he was like deep throat number 2 or 2.5 or something, yeah. 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 Mulder had a lot of them. He was, yes. in, he was in Cujo, apparently. I bet he gets killed. I can't remember. Probably. Um... I don't the, see Laverne and Shirley here, but I'm... I'm not going back for it. That was a joke. That was a joke. Oh. That was, was a joke. That was, yeah, he was just referencing a character name, nickname. That actor was never on Laverne and Shirley. Oh, man. There was a character nicknamed the Big Ragu. Oh, that's on right. On Laverne and Shirley. It's been a long time since I've seen Laverne and Shirley, but I do know the song. <laughs> Shlemiel, Schlamazel. Hoffman's Half Incorporated. <laughs> We're going to do it. On your mark, it's set, and go now. Got a dream, and we just know now. We're gonna make our dream come true. Doing it our way. 
I think it was Carmine Ragusa. Was that the, the who it was? <laughs> Carmine. Yeah. Oh, he's not that accurate. Carmine, Carmine Ragusa, right? Yeah, you're right. The big ragu. Um. Okay, going back. <laughs> Thank you for keeping it on track, Doctor. Get back to the episode. Um, I like I said, this was the first time I'd ever seen this episode. I had always avoided like the play because it looked like it was really crappy. Um, because I generally don't enjoy Good episodes. instincts. Because <laughs> I generally don't uh, appreciate episodes that are kid centric. But I do have to admit that the concept of the uh, of the planet uh, having a sterile race, um, like I said, you know, they were kind of denying the situation. There, there, there was, I think, there was some meat to it, you know, to that story. Um, the kids themselves. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why they would have picked Wesley. Really, I. I, I you know, they all seem to kind of have a general range of ages. They all went, you know, fairly young. And then all of a sudden, then there's Wesley, who, I mean, isn't he on the verge of being 18 on, on, on the show? Well, I think they needed someone who the children viewed as an authority figure, and they also needed someone to, I mean, the big ragu is getting old. He's going he's gonna to die soon. So he was assigned to his kind of, you know, that was his captor, if you will, and I think the plans they mentioned at that dinner where they're eating green watermelon—I mean, green uh, grapefruit for dinner—they mentioned at that meeting that they have big plans for Wesley. I think they wanted him to take over as the leader of the civilization. Uh, the problem I have with their whole plan is that they expect to rejuvenate an entire civilization with just six people. Yeah. Six kids. Yeah. Those those people are gonna have to have a lot of children to be yeah. able to uh, repopulate the planet. And I think that the smallest sample size you can have for successful survival of a civilization is about maybe 500 people or something. You know, it's it's a much more significant uh, number than than six children. So that was yeah, a little. But they were bit... just taking what they could get. I mean, if there were 500 children they could have grabbed, they would have grabbed 500 children. Oh, wait. I, I, but there's way more than six children on the Enterprise. On the Enterprise though. Yeah, but we don't know. There, there there, might have been some reasons, some technical reasons. Maybe they only had enough power to grab seven or... Well, I don't think that's true, Goldie Scott, because they had enough power to launch the Enterprise three days back in space. But here's my question. Okay, if the whole thing is that they can't have children because they're sterile, um, what you know, uh, cloning never came up. Cloning apparently is outside of their realm of sophistication. Um, Goldie Scott well, has. Of course, a, all the 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 other big question: Why do you want children? Well, to propagate this. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Why do you want? Well, there we yeah, go. Want children. Why, maybe. Why? Maybe, as Goldie Scott suggested on, in an offline conversation, they were their plans were a little bit more nefarious than we thought. What did you call them, Goldie Scott? What did you call the Aldeans? Oh, the space pedophiles? <laughs> That's where we'll leave That's that. That's why, well, okay. Before, you know, because I, I, I mean, they were. I, they I was half paying attention during this episode, but, but I, when I first saw the old people with the kids, you know, I didn't really have the sound turned up, and before I really understood what was going on, oh, that was obviously the first thing that popped into my head. You know, not to take another uh, early 80s sitcom reference, but I, I flash back to a episode of Different Strokes that you guys may remember <laughs> with uh, Arnold and Dudley in the bike shop. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. So, fortunately... Is this going to be the first edited episode of Starfleet Boy ever? Yeah, we don't, no. we don't edit on, on no, Starfleet Boy. But we will say that, that was I intentionally provoked you to give that answer because I, I was not was, going to bring it up. I know. I intentionally provoked that answer because it is funny. Um, but no, it's true. There is there are too small a sample size. It, you know, it is it is possible that they wanted to start with them and then they were like, well, we'll lure more ships as we indoctrinate or integrate these people um, into our society. But kidnapping is a big deal. I mean, they have to brainwash. I mean, like, I don't think any of these innocent um, Aldeans, because they do seem a little innocent, realize that like their plan's gonna blow up in their face, which it did. The kids stopped 
didn't the musician I thought that was one of the nicest scenes in the episode was the the planet's foremost musician um, he adopts a little girl who's also a musician and the way their technology works is like you don't actually have to learn how to play an instrument or learn how to sculpt there's these tools that are provided by the custodian that kind of interpret your thoughts and using uh, methods that are very similar to sonic technology, which is very ubiquitous in another show called Doctor Who. Um, using the sonic technology, they're able to do all kinds of things. So, for example, Harry is able to uh, psychically link with this instrument and carve a dolphin out of wood. Um, this little girl is able to psychically link with this musical instrument thing and create this like really beautiful yet very sad melody as the uh, as the musician elder points out um, but it starts blowing up in all their faces because the kids do quickly start missing their parents and they do quickly uh, become sad and so it's like they're I don't think the Aldeans realize what they were uh, what they were getting into here and Wesley sleeps in his uniform I think he was doing that on purpose. He like he had a plan to get up at night, okay. and then and then go and 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 you know get the he kids. He had a hot to date with a computer in engineering. <laughs> yeah, with with the custodian. <laughs> Would you guys let a computer? <clears throat> run no. all the things that you don't want to do. Like, for example, would you let a computer take care of things like washing your dishes and cleaning your apartment and uh, even, uh, like, doing work that you just, you know, taking out the trash and uh, um, maintaining, paying your bills, for example. Would you allow a computer to do that? Well, some of that you already can. I mean, paying your bills, you, auto pay basically is allowing a computer to pay your bills. Uh, but as you know, my stance has always been that the enterprise computer is very unreliable. I don't trust it. And I feel the same about computers in my personal life. I, uh, certain automation for certain things, like taking out the garbage, might be nice. But uh, in general, I, I like to remain a human being and do uh, most of my things on my own. Because I don't trust that the computer's not going to try to kill me at some point. Why would a computer try to kill you? I mean, the custodian. I don't did know. It. Why does any computer ever try to kill anyone <laughs> in any movie or TV show you've ever seen? <laughs> it's There's only a thousand reasons a computer might want to kill you. It's only when the computer becomes sentient and realizes that it's now um, unable to do the things it wants to that it resents its human creators. Right, but by the yeah. time that happens, it's too late to do anything about it. You're not going to know in time. So basically, every aspect of Aldean society is somehow integrated with the custodian and it's an interesting choice in name because excuse me excuse me the custodian is what it's doing that it's it's taking care of all of their needs um, and they don't call it the computer they call it the custodian and I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing and I think we're kind of headed in that direction I mean more and more uh, robots and computers will become a part of the lives of humans. I mean, yeah, but the, the point of the episode was that the computer, the custodian, was causing their sterility. Unless I well, missed something. No, you're absolutely right, but that may not necessarily be the, the case if we can do it in, a, in but it such a way. But it already is the case. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I think a lot of our nuclear technology, Wi-Fi, cell phones now, like all this stuff they're saying causes cancer. Cancer we rates that are an all-time yeah. high. And so I don't know. I feel like this episode is kind of on point with where our society is going. And it is over 20 years old now. And so looking at things in society 20 years later, um, maybe it is a maybe it is a good warning episode about where we're headed with technology. It's a good point. Uh, the 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 basic well the reveal about how the the shield that was around the planet. Uh, reminded me of, of the of the great uh, fantasy science fiction film Highlander 2, The Quickening, uh, which also predicts you know that the where our ozone layer is going to go to shit and there's going to be a giant shield and we're all going to suffer for it. So I I um I took this episode to heart um, <laughs> with that with with that uh, that theme. 
most people have a full measure of life, and some people watch it just quickly float away. But if you could summon it all up at one place, at one time, you can accomplish something glorious. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, the most Scottish sounding Spaniard ever. <laughs> yeah, right? His name Villalobos. Uh, Juan Santos. Carlos. Juan Carlos Santos de Villalobos. Uh, Ramirez. Ramirez. <laughs> I was close. I got one of his seven names right. <laughs> If Highlander 2 is not one of the best sequels ever, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't Why approve of the... the original. The yeah, original Highlander not, 2 with not Zeist. The Zeist. Not the, not the Zeist-less cut. There's the director's right. cut, which, which eliminates Zeist. They take away the planet Zeist. Are you aware of this, Calder Scott? I'm not. I don't even know which version of that movie I saw, but I saw it once, and once was more than enough. <laughs> well, you may you have... Probably... Yeah, you probably saw the director's cut, which which like takes out some really amazing. Uh, I saw the one that where when Sean Connery's character dies, who of course is a Spaniard, they play Scottish bagpipe music. <laughs> That's the one I, I saw. I happen to own every copy of Highlander Two ever made. Okay, well I'm gonna come pick them up. I'm gonna pick all of them up for you. This is probably the version that you saw here, which has. Uh, enhanced special effects and all that stuff. Oh, I don't know if I've seen that. which you need. Let me show you Zeiss. Hold on. Zeiss. Now this Starfleet boy has just become Highlander boy for a minute. It's the and... weird planet at the beginning, right? Oh, then you did see the correct movie. I did. I think yeah. I... There's a weird planet, aliens and stuff at the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's right. Zeiss. No, no, no. But well, oh, there was. Very controversial, right? Because they, yeah. they they brought in aliens into the Highlander origin, which this was not a thing. This is the Zeist version. Highlander Two: The Quickening, which I have archived on Laserdisc. This is the last uh, version. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you have a Laserdisc player still? I do. Yes, I do. Oh wow. Yes. And you need to Zeist. you need to digitize that. Zeist is preserved on this disc for all time. We can all now visit Zeist whenever we need to. Yeah, <laughs> the planet Zeist. I think in the new the reboot series, not the reboot, the next Star Trek series that is uh, going to debut next year, sometime in January. I think that they should nod, give a nod to Highlander and visit the planet Zeist. There is some news on the front, by the way. Oh, go ahead. Uh, but we, we should finish with this episode first. Well, we... all in all, I would say that it was a pretty decent episode. I'd give this one on a five-star scale also three stars. I think it's a solid, solid good episode. What do you give it, guys? One and a half. Oh. <laughs> um... I'm not done discussing it. Oh, yeah, go I'm ahead. Ask, ask but give it a rating real quick. I would give this a uh, 2.7 because oh, I was I, – I think – I initially I, – if I had watched it back when it aired, I probably would have hated it. I think the only reason that I, I find anything uh, redeemable about this episode now is uh, I did find the plight of the planet somewhat – um, I mean, it's just interesting to reflect on it. I mean, I, I really, it, it hit it hit home with me this idea of this race. You know, it's 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 there. It's plain as the nose in their face that they're 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 sterile and they're dying because the ozone layer and the radiation, and they just don't see it. And they, it's almost like they refuse to see it. Not only do they refuse to see it, but the the computer doesn't tell them. It doesn't I mean, know. It's, Maybe well, I, I mean, you have to you have to understand this computer was designed and programmed uh, a millennia ago. You know, she says hundreds. It was designed to be their custodian to take care of them. Right. Doesn't how wise is a computer? It's only as wise to take care of them. Yeah. Must be seeing that the race is dying. Why doesn't the computer react in any way? Well, its the reaction has been telling them, and yeah. they just don't believe it because when Crusher gives them the evidence that this is what's happening, the reaction of this guy was like, no, 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 it's not true, it's not true. It's like, you know, this, this, and this. It's 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 like, 
we're see definitely... no evil, hear no evil. Yeah. And, and I think right now in today's world, we see a lot of that. And, and that, that, that was a very interesting point. That there, there has, are people on planet Earth, a good number of them, uh, enough to create a constituency or a conglomerate that believe that the Earth is only something like uh, 50,000 years old or so, whatever the Bible calculation is. Right. You know, um, right. No, no, I, I believe it's only about 40,000 years old. 40,000 years old, yeah. And yeah. That's, are, you saying, are you saying that's not the case? <laughs> not to get political on this episode. No, that's not politics. That's that's just science, right? That's reality. I mean, I don't know, guys. Maybe you read the Bible again, but it seemed pretty clear to me when I read it. No, incorrect. Incorrect. The Earth is actually probably closer to three and a half to four billion years old. But um, anyway. <laughs> Interesting but theory. But that's that's a theory. It's true. It's not fact. But what's wonderful about science is they don't claim to uh, live in the world of facts. Um, they claim to work, live in the world of uh, theories that make the most sense. So scientists uh, don't always claim that what they know is fact. Um, it can get really close to being a fact. It can be un indisputable with any known means of logic or instrumental uh, measurement. But, you know... You know, like for example, how big is an inch? <laughs> you know, I believe the term for that is factitious. Factitious. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you bring up a great point, and I think that you know, as as humans progress, as we integrate technology into our lives even more, I mean, we're heading into this a whole new world of virtual reality which isn't so new because we've known about it since the Lawnmower Man. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> the lawnmower Man. Boy, we're reaching for these 90s sci-fi gems, aren't we? We, uh, the 90s and the 80s were... Hold on, hold on. Tron invented that shit way before the Lawnmower Man. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, yeah, you're actually correct. But Tron is not claiming a virtual reality. Tron claims that you're going into a different reality. It's like you're going into a computerized reality. It's not virtual. It is actually a real place. But um, the actually what's inside the computer. Yeah, it's actually what's inside your computer. Is whatever like, they build you and stuff. Your, you and your technicalities. <laughs> That's very um, important. <laughs> I'd like to point out that I think I believe this is the first episode directed by a woman. Oh, uh, Kim Manners. Um, and, mind your you know, manners. Mind your manners. And I think there were a few interesting shots uh, in the episode. There were some some interesting close-ups. I remember there was one of when when they're reacting to what you know the the kids being uh, kidnapped and stuff. Like they're they're really you know there were these handheld, really in-your-face kind of shots. Which I I, were I love the handheld shot of Picard going onto the bridge, and then later when yeah. he's yeah, that was a good. That was a that good was really shot good. too. Yeah, you're right. She's had Kim Manners has had a really good career. I feel like I've seen her name on just tons of stuff I watch. Oh, like what? Ash. Uh, IMDb her Starfleet boy. You're good at that, but yes. I mean, I, I would be betting she did a lot more Star Trek. I would be betting uh, general sci-fi TV. Maybe she was an X Files director, possibly. Yeah, I think um, you're right. I think she was on X Files. You're right. I think you're right. A lot of yeah. other stuff, you know. She's just been one of those TV directors tend to bounce around a lot from series to series. They don't even really oh, stay in genres a lot. She's and, as, as current as uh, Supernatural, which is a very popular show. Oh, Supernatural. That's another show I've watched a lot, so that's where I've seen that name, too. Uh, but, yeah, she has just done tons and tons of stuff. So I wonder if this was uh, the, the early part of her career where she got her start on this show, maybe. She also directed. No, she goes way back. She directed Twenty One Jump Street. No, that's the, that's eighty seven. So around the same time. There we go. She only directed this one episode, by the way. Of oh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah. Was I right? Was she on the X Files? She was. She also directed Mission Impossible in eighty eight to ninety, um, and then going way back, let's Simon and Simon. Which, by the way, she brought on Simon. Yeah. Yeah. 
So she what about did Cagney and Lacey? Did she did, did she do Cagney and Lacey also? Her very first credit is 1981. She directed eight episodes of Charlie's Angels. Wow. Yeah, Kim Manners is pretty big deal. By the time she was already a big deal, by the time she directed this episode of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. I'm surprised she only directed one. So I guess those sexual harassment uh, rumors about Riker were were true. Oh my. What? No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, first, I was gonna. This might be a dumb thing. Do we even know that it's a woman? Or could it be an Asian man? Wow. That's really wow. I assumed it was a woman. I'll I'll take responsibility for that. I did Let's... too. I've been using the she pronoun, and it might be. I. Uh, oh, I'm it is here. a it is a man. Shit. <laughs> 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 Very. Kim Manners was born on January 13, 1951 in the USA. He was a producer and director known for the X-Files Supernatural. Um, he died, by the way, guys, at oh. age 58 in 2009. Oh, that's awful. R.I.P. Kim Manners. You were a great director. And now that I know you're a man, I guess it makes it even more likely that those Riker harassment uh, allegations are true. Absolutely. They're, they have to be true. Yeah. Him and that trombone. Oh, the the trombone. All right. Man, so, Goldie Scott knows his TV directors, does he yeah, not? And, and mean, sorry uh, yeah, to the late to Kim Manners for thinking that based on your name that you were a woman. Uh, well, was... I'm sure he doesn't mind. <laughs> Once again, I think this is the the point in the show, Sahel, where you remind everybody this is a casual and informal. Uh, yes, I don't know if I did that this at the beginning. We're not concerned with gender on this show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we. We think everyone should just use the most available bathroom. By the way, there have been cases where, where there was a really long line at the at the uh, men's bathroom and no line at the women's bathroom at a club, where what? I've I've gone into the women's I've never bathroom seen that. and used the women's bathroom. Well, I do go to gay clubs, so you know. That would be the only situation. <laughs> So there have been times where I've uh, I've just kind of like looked at that line and thought, nope, not gonna make it. Go into the women's bathroom, hope for the best. All right, but plan for the worst. <laughs> um, I think. Uh, what does the Star Trek companion say about this episode, Doctor? The it really didn't have um, anything really all that. Oh uh, yeah, apparently there was going to be a uh, B plot. Involving uh, saucer separation. We were cheated out of a saucer separation, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I always love it when. Why was the saucer? Why was the separate. saucer gonna? <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So I guess they were there. Maybe they were gonna just kidnap the saucer section, and they were gonna try and negotiate from the from the battle bridge. Maybe. Doctor, that looks like the original diecast toy that came out around the time that the series aired. It is indeed, sir. It is wow. the original die-cast toy from Gloob. And I don't know if the camera can pick up the uh, the level of wear and tear on this Enterprise, because it was... Um, it's been through many, many, many battles, I can tell you. I have to say I'm really enjoying the remastered uh, uh, effects. Um, they they do seem enhanced now that I've been watching the show. There are certain effects that I remembered. Um, the planets all seem to look better. The ship definitely looks uh, really beautiful. And I have to say that as weird looking as the Enterprise D is, I really love it. I love the uh, the form factor or the or the design of the Enterprise D. I know it's a it's not a very popular design, but I love it. You can keep it. <laughs> What's the one in First Contact? Because First Contact just came on Netflix, and I was watching that. And that yeah. Enterprise is awesome. Oh, that's that, beautiful. That's, that's the beautiful. Sovereign class. Yeah, that's the E. That's beautiful. I love that shit. Yeah. She's like a nice... The Enterprise E is a nice uh, nod to the Enterprise, uh, the original A, or the you know the refit Enterprise, um, with the uh, slanted pylons on the uh, engines. Love me some slanted pylons. Nothing gets me more excited. <laughs> so um, um, the I should say the nacelles. They're not the engines, but yeah, the nacelles. So then, what, uh, what, what's the ratings again? I, I give it a 
What did I give it? You gave it a 2.7. Goldie Scott gave it a 1.5. And I gave it three stars out of five. Generous, generous, sir. Very, way too generous. So the moral of the story is don't rely on a computer to do all the work for you. There's a lot of, uh, there's there's a lot to learn, and calculus is important no matter how frustrating it is, and you want to be an artist, it's good to know math. If you say so. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm, I'm an accountant, and I, I let my computer do all the math for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You validated my point. Oh, boy. Um, I want to point out, uh, this is kind of changing the topic, but they announced that Joe Minoski and Aaron Colette have joined the writing staff of the upcoming Star Trek TV series. Uh, Joe Minoski was staff writer on Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Ooh. Trek Nine, and, I won't hold it against him, Star Trek Voyager. And his mm-hmm. episodes include Darmok. Great episode. Uh, Clues. Uh, Time's Arrow, which we just uh, mentioned. Talked about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chase, which is, um, if I'm not mistaken, that's the one where they're looking for the genetic codes. Mm-hmm. That one. And uh, Suspicions. Uh, these were Next Generation episodes. And for... They don't mention... Wait, do they mention Deep Space Nine episodes? Oh, they only mention Voyager episodes. That sucks. Well, I'm not going to read those. And um, Aaron Collette is a comic book writer best known for his work on Ultimate X-Men. He also has TV experience working on all four seasons of NBC's Heroes. The pair join novelist Kristen Bayer, who has penned numerous Star Trek Voyager and Buffy books. Hmm. Okay, Goldie Scott's having kind of a visceral reaction here. I knew when you said that name, I knew I, I recognized it from somewhere. And I was a reader of the Ultimate X Men series from issue one. Really? And and when he came onto that book, it was awful. It was awful. And actually oh, I think the book really? ended, right? Like he came onto the book, did one or two arcs, and then it went into that ultimatum thing. I don't know if you remember that. Where that, yeah. they killed most of the X Men and the, the book ended. But that was, at the time, one of my favorite books that had, hand, had been handed off to a couple of great writers. Uh, it started with Mark uh, Millar, or Miller, who you know from Kick-Ass and Kingsman and all that stuff. Right. Uh, and then it got handed off to Brian K. Vaughn. And um, then shortly after there, it went to this Aaron Collette guy and just not a fan, man. The book just went downhill so fast. And not a fan of heroes either, I'm sorry to say. I lost, yeah, I lost uh, interest in Heroes after a couple seasons. But at the same time, we do have a really strong uh, alumnus, a Star Trek alumnus coming on. So maybe we'll we'll have someone who can temper temper the other. Now, what what do we know about uh, the other guy, the um, Darmok guy, other than these Next Generation episodes? I know nothing. Joe Minowski. Minowski. Let's look them up. I wouldn't put too much stock into who the writers are, though, because really it, it's they're under the direction of the showrunners and the, and the producers, and a lot of their writing is always going to be subject to vetoes and edits and changes. And sure. so you know, you'll even see, like, Ron Moore wrote some episodes of Voyager that I'm sure are pretty awful. Uh, because they were Voyager. But, uh, so, you know, I, I'm sure all these guys are professional writers. If they've worked in TV before, uh, they know how to do their jobs. And it's really more a question of what direction they're given and who the people are above them. And we do have Nicholas Mayer on this project, so I have a lot of hope for the new Star Trek series. Um, the proof will be in the pudding, as they say. Yes. The space pudding. The space pudding, yeah. All right, well, gentlemen, if there's nothing else, I think I'll wrap it up. Um, I'd like to ask, are any of you buying the Blu-ray of the director's cut of Star Trek II coming up later this week? 
I'm, I'm not. I, I owned the director's cut on DVD, um, so I have seen it. I've seen that version of the film multiple times, and I just recently um, got rid of that DVD when I moved back here from out west. So it's it's still fresh enough that I don't really feel the urge to watch it again. Uh, but I'm sure at some point, hopefully that'll come on Netflix. I would like to see it in HD, but not enough to drop 20 bucks on it. Is this a new director's cut or the same director's cut? Same director's cut, just remastered. On VHS. Actually, Nicholas Mayer took something out. Oh. I was reading the review. He took out one of my favorite parts. It's a, it's a nonsense scene, but uh, when Kirk and Spock are using the, the Jeffrey's tubes to get from one deck to another because the turbo lift's not working, and Kirk goes, that man, he's my son. And then Spock goes, fascinating. Oh, I love that scene. He took it out. Oh. The, they, you still see them climbing, but the dialogue, which was, uh, it was a dub, uh, it was overdubbed, that scene, uh, has been taken out by Nicholas Meyer himself. What? Yes. I always love well, that. Sounds like the DVD version is better, then. Yeah. I, I, I may hold on to it. I don't know. We'll see. Revisionist history, man. Yeah. Revisionist George, history. George Lucas took a, uh, created a monster. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm probably going to buy it. I I don't have a Blu-ray currently. I'm all digital now. Um, I don't even have a television, so I won't be buying it. But if I did have a Blu-ray player and a television, I would probably buy it as well. Well, you I, could buy it on the iTunes store. I have to. Oh, I know. Yeah. Are the are because yeah, this this is a phenomenon that I've found more and more, you know, as as I get older and. and um, and I talk to move, fellow cinephiles and fans of TV and movies, but I find that more and more people are are not are, are doing away with physical media, and and you're choosing to, as you said, go all digital, or just think, well, Netflix will will have it on one day. Do you guys have no desire to? <laughs> I used to have a room like that, Doctor. I had a room very much like that. And it was like stacked floor to ceiling with books and DVDs. And, um, you know, life events just made me ditch it. And you know what? I, I, it wasn't a willing ditch. It was sort of out of necessity. Right. But, okay. Well, but there was a great sense of freedom. Really? In getting rid of all that stuff. And I don't know that I'm ever going back. And, and I'm not... Not only am I not buying physical DVDs anymore, but I'm not buying digital movies either. I'm just not buying them because there's so much stuff out there now that you can watch, like we said, on Netflix or on Hulu. I'm, I have all the media I could ever want, you know? If, if there's something out there that I absolutely have to see, maybe I'll, I'll rent it uh, for $4 or $5, but the days of dropping $20 on every movie are done for me. Wow. So. Uh, for me, it's a different thing. It's um, I had to make a decision when I moved to Starfleet headquarters from uh, Arrakis or Tatooine, whichever you want to think of it as, um, and I couldn't carry all of my things with me. So I do have a storage unit, and all of my DVDs and books are sitting in a storage unit, but um, there's no more... Yeah, it's just difficult to, to be... But you have a desire to have them with you. I also would love to have a library um, of sorts that, uh, you know, like yours, but at the same time, um, everything I want, I have digitally as well, and I'm able to watch it on my computer or on my iPad, and, um, you know, I do... I do have to say I do miss, like, uh, my parents have a very nice-sized screen in their uh, home, and I liked. I do miss uh, having that kind of cinematic experience, um, or close to it, rather. Um, but I've, I've been doing fine. Like, I, I watch everything on my computer, and it's just fine. Wow. And I, and I save on space. I feel kind of... I can't do that. I can't watch TV shows on a computer and iPad. That's that's one turn I can't take. I need I, I, agree I need a nice TV. I, I agree with you there. I have constantly there's somebody at work who's like, Oh, have you seen the new trailer here? And they and he hands me his phone and I'm like, I don't want to see it on your phone. Yeah. No. I want to see it on a movie screen like it was meant to be seen. Right, exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, but you know, there's only so much you can do with what you have available, and Starfleet no, I, does not, I have, does not I have a TV. Now, I do. I can't wait till um, holographic technology enables us to have a TV on a, in a small profile. That would be wonderful if I could just have like a little rectangular box that sits there on this table, and when I turn it on, a 60-inch projection. Um, in front of me is is there? That would be great because then the, it saves on space. It's you all about space. Hollow porn. Yes, just like those hollow uh, liar players. <laughs> Except he had a pedestal for it, which was really weird too. It was like a pedestal just just for them. Right. Well, we we don't know what happens later on in that program. You know. Well, we, he was stuff going on on that pedestal. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On that, on, on that note, thank you, gentlemen. Another great discussion on Starfleet Boy. I really appreciate it. And uh, live long and prosper. LLAP.